Greetings and welcome to another edition of AUHSD Future Talks. I'm your host, Michael Matsuda, the superintendent of the Anaheim Union High School District. And as our 7,000 plus podcast listeners know, this show is dedicated to the future of education. And there is so much at stake as we speak to our next guest, an amazing, amazing educational leader, Jean-Claude Rizard. Jean-Claude, welcome to the show. Mike, thanks for having me. Yes, and um, I can't think of a, just a more amazing leader who has uh, sat in every chair, including the CEO of Chicago Public Schools, uh, also Superintendent of Rochester, uh, uh, the big top-level advisor to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and currently the President and CEO of Digital Promise, a global, nonpartisan, nonprofit organization focused on accelerating innovation in education. Jean-Claude, that was a mouthful, but for our audience, could you tell us uh, what is the Digital Promise all about? Yeah, Mike, you know, we were created uh, out of an act of the U.S. Congress uh, back in 2008 with a goal of getting Americans to understand media and technology. Um, in 2011, um, uh, President Obama and Secretary Arnie Duncan launched the organization and we became all about education. Um, and in 2019, we left the government um, to become a global nonprofit. And we say our work lives in three different circles, research, technology, and practice. Uh, and we work from early learning to workforce development. Uh, we bring all these three circles together in novel ways to really inform the work of practitioners, superintendents, teachers, principals, uh, et cetera. But we are a multi-issue organization doing a ton of work in education for, again, from from pre-K all the way through grave. So I know that you are a very strong advocate for civil rights and equity as well. So and, and there's a lot of tension in that space between access to technology and uh, access to, you know, in terms of equity. What does that all mean? Could you, uh, in a thumbnail, what are some of the major uh, touch points that you work on in terms of this equity and technology and now AI in the mix? You know, you know, so many folks talk about the work that we need to do in education. One of the things that we live by is this idea of a broader definition of success, right? Which is we understand math and reading proficiency are critical and important, especially for those kids we, we refer to here at Digital Promise as historically excluded from full participation. But we also think about a lot about really what are we trying to accomplish? And for us, it's about economic mobility. It's about lifelong outcomes. Uh, as a father, um, you know, in my kids, for example, I care about their reading and math proficiencies, but what I really care about is their lifelong success, which is why I think of this idea of broader definition of success. So when you look at our work, the arc of our work, whether it be looking at pedagogical practice, how kids learn math, how kids learn reading, how kids learn science, we also worry, really worry about the transition from high school to post-secondary. Uh, and there's a lot of fallout there. We worry a ton about college entry and persistence, or better yet, post-secondary entry and persistence. And we care about this idea of, of, of lifelong outcomes, economically, well-being, and of course, not that kind of personal uh, agency. So we, we think about equity in its purest sense. Uh, the kids or the young people, the learners, frankly, who typically don't get access to the economic engine of this country are getting access to it. And we understand that work starts in the early grades, and we have to inform 
both the the systems architecture for getting there, but we also double down on what happens in schools, what happens in classrooms, and of course, making sure that kids have access to the best learning sciences and the best technology that's going to help them actually get there. You know, Digital Promise is one of the major partners in this upcoming AI summit, and uh, we were just talking about that before the show. It is sold out. We have over... 70 districts from 22 states and five countries coming. So it's up to Anaheim. We're really excited about that, JC. You talk about the need for uh, systems architecture in, in terms of equity and access to technology. Now that we put AI in the mix, what do you see the role of AI, the promise of AI are uh, conversely the, the maybe the problems in terms of creating another access gap between the have and the have nots? No, it's a, it's a it's a great it's a great question. Um, let me let me just say that we are bullish about the possibilities AI bring to the conversation to supporting the work, um, but a lot of us are also worried that uh, it's a shiny new object, mm-hmm. and a lot of people are saying, "Oh my God, AI is cool." Gravity toward that, with, without fundamentally remembering this is about teaching and learning. It's about the work of making sure kids are learning. Their AI has a massive potential in terms of really elevating pedagogical practice, pushing curricula, really helping us understand how to get personal with each child. Uh, At the same time, we worry about uh, making sure that young people or learners are prepared to manage the machine and not the other way around. So one of our big portions is this idea of computational thinking pathways. So how do you move from teaching kids coding to things like algorithmic thinking, pattern recognition, right? So they understand the basic functions of how you know technology works. Uh, at the same time, we also pretty bullish about making sure we meet the foundation of access to this kind of work, which is again uh, um, the, the digital equity work that we need to do: access to powerful devices, access to broadband, making sure our teachers know how to use technology in the classroom. With that, add one one last thing to this, Mike, which is really important. One of the things that really worry me is that you know folks talk about AI, but forget that AI becomes an ed tech education technology conversation work, right? Because school districts don't buy AI. They're going to buy platforms and net tech products that have AI inside of it, making sure that the AI or the work of that ed tech is based on solid science, um, that it does have some level of efficacy. It does what it claims to do. And that the procurement officers, the districts are driving the agenda about what comes into their districts. Because right now, so much of technology or ed tech goes to districts through word of mouth what I call the social network, as a former superintendent, I mean, I know it. When I was in Chicago, I would call my friends in LA, in New York, and other places like, what are you guys using, you know? Uh, or this vendor came to me uh, selling this stuff, what do you think, are you guys using it? To a much more objective set of outcomes on ed technology and making sure the AI follows suit, that we trust these ed tech companies to do the right thing about producing and procuring and pushing things that actually work for the kids uh, the kids in front of us. You know, you bring up a really, really uh, important point about uh, the, the cost. You know, you're talking about working with procurement and the fact that uh, a lot of these new shiny objects are embedded in uh, management system products um, and then passing the costs on to districts. Are you, uh, I know that you work on that 30,000 foot level as well as on the ground, but uh, are you having conversations with 
policy folks in government in terms of how to um, address this uh, this challenge in terms of the cost? Because AI, effective AI, humanistic AI is going to be expensive. It is. And in fact, when you look at what chat GPT is costing uh, OpenAI or Microsoft, uh, it's a lot of money, and you you just said it really, really well. Ultimately, this company is going to pass on the cost to the to the buyer. So this idea of equitable access to technology is is a big part of our conversation. We are in deep partnership with the U.S. Uh, Department of Education in the work that they actually do. The National EdTech Plan that was just released, we were a partner in the design of this EdTech Plan. So at the highest policy levels, we are talking about this, but more importantly in our work with school districts and school superintendents, our push is please don't be passengers in this effort. Be crew, be a leader in pushing what you need because without equitable access to these powerful technologies, if, you know, developing countries, poor learners in our communities in the US here are gonna be left out. And ultimately the same young people, the same learners who had access before this are gonna get greater access uh, um, in, in the future. So. It has to start a place where we're thinking about making sure, not that it's necessarily cheap, but more importantly, it's accessible to all learners, not just the ones who have the money or the districts that have the money to buy into uh, the next layer of work. So, yes, we're working at every level to make sure that is understood by the education sector. I mean, one of the purposes of this gathering, the K-12 Summit, is to, uh, we've invited a lot of teacher leaders, right, districts to bring teams, superintendent and teacher leaders, to help districts vet some of these shiny objects you're talking about. Why is that so important at this critical juncture, to get these in the hands of teachers? You know, one of the things that that I, I, I a lot of us worry about, uh, especially when it comes to ed tech, is that, again, People are not buying from a position of power and strength and knowledge. They're buying, again, billions are spent in the U.S. alone in a technology, but it's being purchased through, again, this idea of networks. Who do I know who's been using this versus does this thing actually work and do does it do what it claims to actually, to actually do? So there's a lot of effort in making sure that later on all of this with AI, that is being done in a way that empowers the user. When you look at, again, who's buying tech products, who's going to be buying AI in education, uh, they're the ones who can drive the market. Uh, and until we understand our collective power in doing that, look, you know, LA, New York, Chicago, uh, we can drive a lot. The state of Texas can drive a lot. When you look at, for example, pick a state in the U.S. like Connecticut, a lot of small districts, but collectively they have the purchasing power of it, I would argue, more than in New York City or, or Los Angeles for that matter, right? So it's that kind of collective buying power I think we have to leverage to make sure that the producers of these technologies understand they have to serve the needs of, of our districts, of our purchasers, and ultimately, frankly, the learners in front of us. So it's interesting, absent, this is, I see a parallel to the prescription drugs and, and pharmaceuticals, right? And absent the, the government getting more involved in this, are you suggesting that districts maybe come together and create consortia to leverage their purchasing power? Absolutely. And I think, I think there is a play for the state. Uh, to also play uh, a, a huge role. You think about the state of California with the number of kids in districts across the state. I mean, the state education department here in California can do a lot in driving purchasing. I mean, the word out in the street when it comes to 
to publishing companies, right, is that Texas and California drive the market. You think about that kind of collective buying power. Yes, we can make that happen. Because I'll tell you, if we don't buy it, I don't care what they produce, um, it's not going to see daylight. I mean, we're the ones who have to be in the driver's seat to tell these tell the companies that this is what we want. And by the way, there's a lot of companies um, uh, who do care about the ideas of impact, the ideas of making a difference. Um, so we have to make sure that they are getting the uh, the visibility, frankly, uh, and not just the ones who are out there to make a dollar, to make a buck. You know, there's there's a lot of anxiety out there, especially when you talk to um, like teachers, leaders, like teacher, you know, teacher union leaders. Okay, have you and Digital Promise had uh, interaction with many of the state or national union leaders about how uh, maybe uh, assuaging the fears that are out there about you know AI taking away jobs? You know, we we have not had that specific conversation. But we are in touch, especially with the NEA, right, in terms of the work that they're actually doing. Um, there's a lot of folks who are looking at the new mental model for teaching. Uh, and, and Cal Basile at, at Arizona State University will tell you that the one teacher, one classroom, or one teacher, one pod, as to the corner specifically, uh, is a bit dated and figure does not serve the needs of, of young people. At the same time, makes the job unsustainable. So when you think about this idea of rethinking the team teaching model in schools, which could include parents, and AI can be a partner and, and a leverage for that, right, or for that kind of work in getting to the needs of young people. I don't see a world that is successful where machines are taking over the jobs of, of, of people, although some will try, right? But, but we're not going to get successful. But where the AI or the technology supports the teaching and learning cycle and is a partner with the teacher. In fact, I was just talking to an ed tech company this morning and, and, and we were aligned completely. I want to great ed tech companies that, you know, when you look at the way tech products often design, it centers the kid, the student, the learner, right? And forgets about the fact that there's an educator uh, uh, sitting side by side that needs to be engaged just as well to making sure that protagonist is supporting the work that is going to be happening with kids and the technology and the curriculum. Um, and I'll, I'll coin, uh, um, um, paraphrase Dr. Richard, the late Dr. Richard Elmore at Harvard, who often said that the most important relationship in education is between students, teachers, and content. But we really know it's students, teachers, families, and content. The question of AI or technology is how is it enhancing that relationship mm-hmm. and not replace what needs to happen between human beings because learning is a human endeavor. Education is is human development. And no machine can ever replace that. It can enhance, accelerate, and support. It cannot replace the work of the human um, in supporting other human beings. Jean-Claude, you work with, through Digital Promise, you have a large, large consortium of districts, and you have uh, a lot of conversations with superintendents. What are they telling you on the ground? What is it that they need in terms of how to integrate and use these powerful AI tools. You know, like we see, we see. So our League of Innovative Schools is a bit different than most because these are, I mean, like you, some of the most progressive leaders in America. So they don't sit back and wait for things to actually happen. But I'll tell you what I'm hearing collectively across the country, and I, and I see two camps. There are some who are bullish, who are taking the bull by the horn, who are leading the conversation about what this means to their work. Again, they fully appreciate and understand that this is about teaching and learning. And there are some who are saying, we're taking a more wait-and-see approach. Well, let's see how this thing plays out. 
uh, and see what it's going to do. I would argue, please, for folks not to do the second part of this, because then you become, again, passenger. You become passive in the conversation. And, and these big uh, tech companies, big AI stuff will do things to you versus you driving the agenda and saying, this is what I need in my school districts. Uh, so that really, really is important. I'll tell you, this, this really smart superintendents understand that a coherent instructional system is the most powerful thing you can build. Yes, having that kind of long view around outcomes and success definition. And they see AI or they see technology as an enabler in doing that. So please don't be passenger. Uh, please don't be passive in this. Be a leader, like frankly what we're seeing in some of the best soups, like you, Michael, uh, frankly, in Anaheim Public Schools. For our guests that are coming to this conference in March 1st and 2nd, and all of the, those who will be watching uh, through live stream, what is your advice to these uh, district teams that are coming in? What, what do you think that they should be looking forward to take away? So I would say first, uh, as, you, as you know, this conference primarily is going to lead on practice. So it's going to lean on the, the protagonists, the folks who are doing the work. So I would say it's one of networking and learning from each other, learning from the panels and folks who are presenting, because you're going to see colleagues that you're talking about what they are doing. Take away concrete work you can do. And I would argue, too, uh, while this is about teaching and learning, to expand your horizon, that this is more than just that. We look at school operations, for example. What what could technology or AI do to enhance that particular process? Whether it be busing, human services, et cetera. Because ultimately, all of these district functions support the work of the teacher in the classroom, right? Uh, I used to tell principals when I was a superintendent, if you can feel food services and transportation, then it's not working. Uh, it should be transparent to your, to your core core work that you actually do. So it's the networking. It is the group. It is the folks who are who have been at this who will tell you what to do. Give you one concrete example, Michael. I was at a conference in, in a meeting in Lexington with our Global Cities Network, and there was a person there outside the U.S., a leader from outside the U.S., who was they were banning AI in their district or in their in their particular ministry. And when she heard the teacher of the year from Kentucky sitting next to one of our folks talking about the potential of AI in the classroom. She ran up ideas. She goes, okay, I'm convinced this is awesome stuff. I need to learn how to use it and leverage it across my entire, my entire country. So that for me was a, a, an amazing light bulb moment. So I would say bring those kinds of questions to the conference uh, in March. And finally, digital promise, I, I see as sort of a connector, right? Not only laterally across the country, but also with other important stakeholders, especially uh, the world of work and business. What are your friends from the world of work in the United States saying about uh, the AI tools, not in, in, their, in their world, as well as connecting with the K-12 and even K-16 world? Yeah, so, so, so it goes back to this idea of how do we help learners leapfrog, right? So, for example, if you're teaching ChatGPT version 4, right, you, you do that for a fourth grader in 14 years, you know, what version are we going to have, right? So teaching a very specific today's technology uh, I worry about because it doesn't really prepare, especially our learners in K-12, to be prepared for the world of work. So the questions are, what are the skills and competencies that, that learners need to be able to survive in the world 20 years from now? And for, again, the example I gave earlier, computational thinking, I think, is one of those things because, it, again, it transcends technology. Excuse me, you think about um, the, again, things like 
again, patterns, algorithmic thinking, that no matter what software we're using, no matter what the technology is, we're never going to need to move away from algorithms, right? So that kind of understanding is the way in which you prepare young people to survive in any kind of work. Because we all know no matter what the field of study, field of work is going to be, it will engage and involve technology use. So being able to manage whatever comes at you as an adult, uh, I think is the way in which we have to think about this idea of the world of working, preparing young people for the future. Last thing, Michael, if you look at, for example, um, you know, I was I was doing this in Texas a few, about maybe two or three months ago. Uh, I took the job description of a prompt engineer and I put it in front of the group. I said, what do you read? What do you see? Nothing in there was about coding. Right, it aligns very well to college and career readiness standards. Aligns very well to what we are seeing and on the portrait of a graduate. Right, is there are the non-academic competencies that we know beget success. You know, can you work in a team? Can you extrapolate from content? All these things we all know, which are cri- critical, around college and career readiness, they still matter aligned to today's work. Uh, well, amazing, amazing twenty minutes with you, Jean Claude, and we look forward to uh, hearing more of your wisdom at the K-12 AI Summit in Anaheim, March 1st and 2nd. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm looking forward to being there.